Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us at all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgman website. Let us know what you thought about some of this discussion of how we really establish a partnership and with whom on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdina Osband. Our DAF of the day, Masachere Ruvin, DAF Samachtet, page 69. Okay, um, we have, uh, again, another rich DAF where we're going to pick out selected uh, discussion points, I hope. Um, okay, we have here a case where Hahu de Nafik Bachomer de Medusa the Medusha, sorry, we have a, a person who went out with what the Gemara calls here a coral ring, right? A coral ring. Um, it's not exactly clear what this means. The Gemara, the commentaries, you know, jump around to figure out exactly what this means. But that's the translation of it, okay? Um, so then he sees Rabbi Yehuda Nesiyah, that's Rabbi Yehuda Nesiyah, Right, and he covers it up, meaning he's walking around with this item, and and he's in the public domain. Right, he's out, he's in the public domain, and it's Shabbos. And what that means is technically he's carrying on Shabbat, meaning in an area of Rashuda Rabim, it has no eruv. And then he sees the rabbi, and he covers up the fact that he is carrying. And so, you know, this is an interesting, I don't know, psychological personality. You know, whichever you want to look at it. Um, what do you do when you get caught out doing the thing that that other person thinks that you shouldn't be doing, which you yourself may not have any problem with? And the Gemara respects this approach um, and says, um, the, the, the Gemara says that this person who is so careful to, you know, hide the fact that he was desecrating Shabbat in front of Rabbi Huda, so then that person can then be considered trustworthy or or participant enough in Shabbat to count as somebody who could renounce his rights to let the other people in the courtyard carry, right? As opposed to being, which is what's going on on the, the daf before this point, right? The, the same discussion, not, you know, the ongoing discussion, I should say, that we've been having all this time in terms of people who cannot participate in whatever different ways for, as part of the cooperative making an Eruv, well, some of those people are prohibited from renouncing their rights because if you don't really believe in Eruv to begin with, then you don't get to you don't get to kind of remove yourself from the equation to help the other people because you were never in the equation to begin with. So your renouncing doesn't do anything. But this guy, this guy is careful. This guy treats Shabbat with or or at least he treats the rabbi with respect. And that uh, with regard to Shabbat. And therefore he's allowed um, to do this renouncing of his own rights to enable other people on the courtyard to be able to carry. He's not keeping Shabbat, but he's not disrespectful of Shabbat. He, he's, he's recognizing the evidence of Shabbat, let's say, and therefore he's, again, not quite part of the cooperative, but able to remove himself to allow the other people to make a cooperative. And this, this example becomes, um, it turns into a discussion about I don't know, something that becomes critical, I would say even very, very salient in our own day. How do we call somebody? What is it? What is the person? Who is the person who is a mumar? Now, a mumar is a term that means somebody who is a disbeliever or an apostate. And there's 
classically, there's two different kinds of mumarim. One is a mumar leteavon, teavon meaning for an appetite, somebody who goes after uh, desire, um, appetites of the flesh, whatever it might be, and therefore transgresses halacha, right? Therefore breaks the law. Um, or alternatively, a mumar lahachis, somebody who is doing uh, the same breaking of the law, or, or alternative, you know, it's, it could be different mitzvot, that's not the issue, but he's doing it out of spite, meaning that the the issue there is not that that person wants to go do that thing, eat the bacon, right, whatever it might be, commit adultery, that's not the issue. The issue is I'm defying God, right, or I'm spitting in the, in the idea of God, right, any of that kind of um, negativity towards the religion itself or the Torah itself, that's a mumar lahachi. So in this case, Ezehu Yisrael mumar, where do we, how do we consider somebody who is an apostate? What what um, criterion do we have to determine that? And the answer here is, shabbatot somebody who violates Shabbat in a public way so that everybody sees that that person, not just knows, but sees the desecration of Shabbat. So, I, this is I, another one of those gemaras that's maybe a little bit more difficult in this day and age because there's so many, um, you know, fine card-carrying Jews who do not keep Shabbat in this day and age. And there's a whole lot of discussion that we can have, although I don't think we'll take the time now, um, about what does it mean to desecrate Shabbat in an era when so many people are desecrating Shabbat? It's a different kind of thing. The whole Bafarhesia aspect, the public shame of it, or the brazenness of it is a little bit different. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that, even though I don't want to delve into it today. So Rav Nachman says, like, who, where did you get this idea that somebody who is Mechal Shabbat Befar Hesia is the Mumar that we're talking about? If you say that you're you're quoting Rabbi Meir, right, that your opinion follows that of Rabbi Meir, he's the one who said, that somebody who is suspected of a sin in any one matter is then suspected of a sin in every matter. Meaning if you violate one thing, according to Rabbi Meir, you're going to be suspect for kol Torah kula, which is, of course, a very um, perfectionist kind of approach, which does not surprise us that it comes from Rabbi Meir, but it's also not necessarily you know, the, the standard approach because so often we say that a person can violate one area of halacha and they don't violate, you know, any others for that matter. Um, and then, but the Gemara goes on, right? The, the, this position of Rabbi Meir says that somebody who, if he transgresses one, any one of all of the prohibitions of the Torah, it's still not necessarily, the implication is it's still not necessarily as severe as, as breaking Shabbat before Hesia. Um, Okay, I just want to add this one little line. Ikra banan, right? Because this was opinion. That was, if you want to say that he's following the opinion of Rabbi Meir, or alternatively, you could say he's follows the, following the opinion of Rabbanan. Rabbanan take that lenient, lenient approach and says, just because you're you violated one thing doesn't mean we're going to think you're violating everything. You can you can accept that approach. Right, that violating one thing does not mean you that you have any interest in violating anything else until the person's one thing is idolatry. And the moment that the person's like, you know, approach is to sin with regard to idolatry, 
then you can't trust them with regard to the entirety of the rest of the Torah because they fundamentally negated the Torah by by praying to false gods, which is, you know, it nullifies the belief in God who gave the Torah and, and we move on from there. Um, look, I'm also troubled a little bit by this passage. Um, I don't think we think of people the same way that they do as like labeling somebody an apostate. I think in our modern world, we sort of respect people's beliefs or their beliefs and how they choose to live their life is how they choose to live their life. I do think more what the take home here is, is that they're not really describing sort of a difference of practice, right? But it's really more like a person who, in a very deliberate way, as you said, Anne, sort of says like, I'm doing this to, you know, like to say that I'm doing something against God, like in a very public and spiteful way. Um, And I think that's not the category of what we're talking about, where we say that there are like just lots of different people who do lots of different things today and observe in many, many different ways. And I think it's really important to make that point here. I'm into that. Um, So I'm going to move on to the next Mishnah here. Um, which gives us a new interesting case, um, which again goes on to this idea, though, and is going to involve the issue of renouncing your residential rights to your property. Um, So the case here is, is that you have residents of a courtyard, and one of them forgot and didn't do, didn't participate in the Arab of the courtyard. Right? And so therefore, his house is prohibited both to him because he forgot to actually establish the Eruv, right? And it's also prohibited to the other residents, right? They can't bring objects um, from the courtyard into his house or take them out of his house into the courtyard, right? Because again, he didn't participate in the Eruv. But their houses are permitted both to him and to them. So in other words, this is a very interesting concept here. It's almost in a way that if you forgot and you didn't participate in the Arab, it just sort of like discounts your property. Like your property is just not part of the Arab. But as a member of this chatzer, you still get to have access to other people's property who did participate in the Arab. So that's very interesting. Um, the, that new low rishutan, humutar vehen asurim. Right. But let's say what they did was if they gave away their rights to the courtyard to him. Right. In other words, if they just sort of wanted to be nice to him, basically. Right. This was one of the things Ann and I, you know, when we prepped this, I was like, why would someone do this? She's like, I think it's really just to be nice. Right. Like before we had sort of previously talked about it more in terms of somebody who didn't want to participate in the Arab or even the case of a Tzaduki where they almost wanted to like undermine the Arab. Right. But here the other residents have the opportunity to basically say, they can sort of give up their residential rights. They can give up the rights in his favor. And then he would be mutar. He would be allowed to carry from his house into the chatzar, but they would not be allowed to carry, right? But in other words, carry from his house into the chatzar. Hayushnayim, let's say that there were two residents who forgot to participate in the Arab. Osrin Zeh So they prohibit one another. In other words, the courtyard, this chatzar, belongs to both of them, Right? But each house sort of belongs just to the owner. So therefore, it's not allowed for either of those residents to carry into the chatzar itself. Let's say one of those residents says, fine, I'll give away my residential rights, right? 
So what do we say? We say, no, it has to be words, you know, basically that the two residents can give away their rights, but they cannot receive rights. So in other words, because they didn't participate in the Arab, right, it's not, we can't expect the other residents of the courtyard to give away their rights to this Chatzar because the two of them are prohib- who are prohibited didn't participate in the Arab and they're just going to be prohibited from caring. So in other words, we allow one, but we will not allow two to give away their rights. So now the mission just wants us a general question here. When is somebody allowed, when does it actually take place that you give away your rights? Now, this is actually very interesting because I always, based on what the answers are going to be, I always thought it was like, okay, it's like, you know, five minutes to Shabbos and you realized, oh my God, I didn't participate in the Arab and there's not enough time, I guess, to like get bread or participate. The Arab was already made. So you quickly give up your rights. However, Beit Shammai answers the following, right? That it has to be basically before the onset of Shabbos, which again, like me, implies to me, like this could have happened at 1 p.m. So this to me was an interesting piece of what Beit Shammai is talking about here. Right. Behel says, no, even after it turns dark, when it's already Shabbat, if you act and this, this answer sort of makes more sense in terms of like how it would be discovered. OK. So now the Mishnah goes to a piece of the Mishnah, which was actually quoted on the previous tab, right, which was, let's say somebody actually gave up his right. So he was not allowed to carry, but he goes ahead and he actually carries. Right. So whether it was the shogay, it was by accident or it was purposeful, it was mazid. Right. What happens? Then everybody becomes it, 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 it becomes prohibited for all the residents to carry, because in a way he he renounces his his re- renouncing of his rights. Right. In other words, he has he undoes it because by carrying, he shows that he didn't actually really give away his property rights. Debray Rabbi Mayer. This is according to Rabbi Mayer. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehudo, Amir, excuse me, B'mezid Oser, right? Only if he did it on purpose. B'shogege no Yoser, right? But if he did it by accident, he basically can just go back. And that was discussed um, on the uh, previous tab. Um, so very, very interesting mission. Again, it's a little difficult to sort of follow exactly what's going on here. Um, but the idea essentially is, is that if somebody were to forget to participate in the Arab, there are ways to make it easier for him. Um, and this has to do with whether or not you can you want to sort of renounce your rights uh, to your actual property. And anything you want to add to that before I read a little bit of the Gemara here? I just want to acknowledge that I feel like um, the the question of renouncing one's rights, it, it sounds so counterintuitive in terms of this being something you, you would ever want to do. Right. The vocabulary of it makes it sound like, well, that's a bad thing to do. And that's not really the case here, right? It's more of a technical, you know, way to get Arif to work for the most people possible. Right, exactly. Um, so I think that, right. And I think, so on that, okay, with the thing of language, the Gemara, that's what the Gemara really wants to do with the rest of the staff. We're not going to read all of it, but the Gemara recognizes that the language of this Mishnah is very, very interesting. So the Gemara starts with the beginning. Beitohu asur. So, right. So in other words, what the Gemara notices that what the Mishnah is ultimately saying is, is that it's prohibited to bring objects from the courtyard to his house or to take things from his house to his courtyard. So what we infer from what this Mishnah is basically saying is, is that 
it you know the carrying to and from his house is prohibited but carrying to and from the courtyard like that chair into the other residents of the courtyard that is allowed so the gemara wants to say hey so what's what's the actual case that we're talking about here so if we say it's a resident who forgot to establish the Arif, who is Beetle, right? He he renounces his right. So then the obvious question is How could his house be usur, right? Like in other words, you live in your house. How could you be making your house for yourself asur, right? Right. It's very right. It's like very interesting. right? And if we say he didn't renounce his rights. Right? Like, then how could the chatzer at all be permitted? Right? So the Gemara is very stuck on, like, what do you mean that his house is actually asur? So what is it that we're actually dealing with? Right? So now this makes sense. What are we dealing? It's a special case. But I don't even think it's so special. It's really the case that makes more logical sense. Right? He renounces his rights to his courtyard to the others, right? He basically says, I don't have ownership in this courtyard. You guys own the chutzah. But he's not going to renounce house, house, actually. You know, he won't renounce the rights to his actual house, right? That just doesn't make sense. Because Sabri Rabbanan, so the rab, the rabbis hold, Hamavata Rashut Chatzero, Rashut Beitel, Lobitel, right? Somebody can renounce his chutzah, but obviously, he's not renouncing his house. Dayar Enish Bivayik, below the because why? Because a person really lives where, right? A person can live in a house without a chatzar. A chatzar does not automatically have to be part of your property, right? Like, in other words, your house is your house. Your chatzar is your chatzar. And I think this makes, you know, a, a, a sense also just in terms of the overall construct of what an Arab is, right? The point of the Arab is not to share houses. The point of the Arab is to share chatzars, right? And so... Obviously, a person would not be renouncing his property rights to his actual house. It's renouncing the property rights to the shared, uh, to the shared chutzner. I'll just read a little bit more. The shelahen mutar lo vilahen my taima. So then the Gemara wants to say, okay, if they're allowed to carry in and out of their houses, right, that's permitted to him and for that. In other words, once he renounces his rights, why is he allowed to carry at all, right? Shouldn't we just say he doesn't participate in the era at all? Right? So what is it? He's like, he's a guest of theirs. And therefore, wherever they can carry, he can carry. And that's the first time we saw this element about the renouncing of the property rights. And this is why it actually uh, gives a solution, right? So the idea is when you make an Arab, right? And you have a guest for Shabbat, you don't make the guest participate in the Arab. You made an Arab and whoever's with you for Shabbat can use that Arab, right? Um, and we saw a little bit about this, like in some of those cases where like a daughter goes to her father's house or the father goes to the daughter's house, you know, that whole thing with the Arab. But the idea is essentially like you're making an Arab for whoever is going to be with you. And that Arab applies to them if they're staying with you for Shabbat. So the idea is, is that by his renouncing his rights, he basically becomes a guest. He's a guest of all the all the residents who now actually have ownership and therefore he can use the property freely because he's just a guest of one of those residents. And I thought that really introduced a very different and new element into our understanding of Arab. Um, yeah, I like, I have nothing. I think you've expressed I this all beautifully so well and clearly. 
right i think it also is something that without that clear exposition i think it can be it can be daunting you know i keep finding myself kind of getting circular in my in my reading of the duff and going back and doing it again so i appreciate your exposition right. and here. i think again you know we'd make this this concept of using the language of orech you know the guess also goes along with a lot of what we were talking about about the cooperative um, and then just reflecting back even about the case of the apostate, like somebody who's so fundamentally is like doing something like against God, how could they be part of the cooperative? You know, like, and again, I think this gets to the meta piece of Arab, like there's really trying to instill through this concept of Arab, like a real partnership between people. It's a real sharing between people. And whether that has to do with if your beliefs are so fundamentally different, right? the Tzaduki, the apostate, like, you know, even the non-Jew, like maybe you just can't share in that, in that, in that partnership. Um, again, that may not be a modern feel, but I think that is a little bit of what's going on here. Whereas somebody who's so willing to sort of renounce his rights, right? <laughs> like he's basically willing to say, I have no ownership here. We're that, and he does that for the sake of the partnership in a way, right? We're going to allow him to participate as a, as a guest. It makes right. him a partner. It I mean, makes him a partner. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us at all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Neat Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgin website. Let us know what you thought about some of this discussion of how we really establish a partnership and with whom on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.